This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Welcome back this week, everyone. So my guest is Chef Dennis. Thanks for being on, Dennis. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. Yeah, I'm excited. So where am I talking to you from? Well, I am in Summers Point, New Jersey. It's right outside of Ocean City, America's family resort. (laughs) (laughs) When when we moved back, we did try to get a house in Ocean City, and it was one of those God's unanswered prayers kind of thing because my wife wanted it so bad, and it turned out this was the best thing for us was right across the bridge. Uh, because we have neighbors that we see. It's not people coming in every week. And we're on the water. We're going to never afford the water over there. You know, mm-hmm. Talking millions for those. So, so you know, it worked out really well. Yeah, so I'm in, I'm in New Jersey. Never thought I'd come back. Uh, we moved nine years ago to Florida. And uh, my wife said when we crossed the border, the angels sang for me. <laughs> I, I was a native Texan, and Florida was as close to Texas as I was going to get, I think. Yeah, and I'd love the blue sky, sunshine, and uh, it just got so crowded. Everybody moving to Florida, everybody. <laughs> so uh, we moved back up here, and we're going to winter there. If, you know, I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. A lot of I lived in New York City for about five years, and a lot of people, like a lot of friends I made, their parents would do that. They'd winter down in Florida, and then summer up in in New yeah. York, and it was kind of a relief for everyone because they got a break from. <laughs> family too so oh it's yeah nice. good for everybody mental health <laughs> yeah exactly cool well um you're chef dennis i mean that's that's the what people know you as from ask chef dennis from your website and from your youtube channel and everything so so you're doing this now you're a personality who's you know teaching people how to cook but before that how did you get to where you are now and then we'll talk about what you're doing now but how sure. did you start out well you know i didn't <clears throat> i always liked to cook because i like to eat and I, I equated that at, at an early age that me being able to make my own food meant that I got to eat more often. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I was a big fan of that. My early inspiration was Graham Kerr. And he was just this flashy Aussie, or I don't know if he was Aussie or New Zealand, but he wear the, the ascot, the scarf, and he would come out and he drank a lot. He did. And he, he loved butter and he loved cream. And that mm-hmm. was kind of my something that I carried with me throughout throughout my life in cooking. And at one time, he was listed as the most dangerous man in America by the American Heart Association because of all the butter and cream. You know, I have since, you know, as we all do as we get older, cut back on some of those things because, you know, we want to live longer at the time. But Graham Kerr really kind of, he implanted this memory of how amazing it was to make people happy with food because he'd bring them down from the audience and and people would literally moan and the faces they would make when they tasted what he cooked and i you know i never really had any other artistic ability that that shone and Mm -hmm. that was the one thing i could do that i could be creative at and i could create things so you know that again i always say they go back to that you know that early memory imprinted and all the different things I tried throughout my life to be good at and to be happy at, nothing ever really resonated until I, I got in the kitchen and started cooking. Yeah. And I started as a, a prep person in, in a restaurant, and I watched 
everything that the chefs were doing, you know, because I did not want to be in that corner of the prep person. For me, that was like, this, there's no fun here. There's no action here. I'm passing food to the people that are making it. And during the season, I would, I would jump in the corner every chance I got when the boss wasn't there because the, the one main other chef didn't like to cook. He was a CIA graduate. He was amazing at everything else, but it just wasn't, that wasn't the part of the restaurant business he enjoyed. He enjoyed every other aspect of it. So he saw that I kind of knew what I was doing and that meant he could get his work done in the back and not have to come up every time to make a, a dinner. You know, when we were slow, this was only the slow times. And I, I started learning how to make everything. I, and I just kept working at it and working at it all summer. And end of the season, the owner was looking for a new property and he got stung by like 18 waspies. I don't know what stung him, but they had oh to gosh. shoot him full of, of drugs to keep him from going into shock. And, and this was Labor Day weekend, the busiest day at the Jersey Shore. I walk in and the other chef goes, guess who's cooking tonight, cuz? And I said, who? He goes, you are. Cool. Okay. You know, you know, it didn't phase me, didn't scare me. Well, not that I let on. And um, yeah, I got through that night pretty much flawless. And I escalated my apprenticeship in the kitchen pretty quickly. And, you know, I spent the next few years still learning the trade and learning everything. But I was the guy in the corner now. I could be trusted. So that's really what kind of fueled and started me cooking. And then, you know, over the years, I actually stayed with that family on and off. For They were my safe zone. Every time... I, I left a restaurant or I just needed to get my head on straight. I would call them and say, you, you need anybody for a while? Or, you know, So I'd go back and work for them and, and you know, get things together and make some changes and you know, build my confidence back up and then go back out in the world and, and work somewhere else. So it was a good spot for me. And towards the end of that career, my body started to break down and my hands went first and I had carpal tunnel. So... I decided to go into business dining. I had a friend in business dining and, and management. Mm. And that didn't last a whole long time because I just couldn't sit in the office while the food looked like it wasn't as up to my standards. I was, I'm a Virgo, so I'm a perfectionist. And <laughs> I expect people to work at the level that I work at, which is unrealistic, but <laughs> for me anyway. So I would end up back in the kitchen. And then I had another carpal tunnel surgery. And I went back in the office. And then actually they sent me to a school. That was my last job. And the food was horrible. It was school food. Yeah. And I just, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I was going stir crazy in the office. We didn't have that many video games on the computer at that point that I could just yeah. play those. So I started cooking again. And it, it ended up being like a made-for-TV movie. The girls, it was an all-girls Catholic high school. They loved me. They painted a mural of me on the wall. They were like, you know, they were so thrilled that they were getting this crazy good food rather than, you know, simple cafeteria food. Mm -hmm. And a few years into it, I decided that I needed to start training my own staff. And that's when I became a blogger. I, I started a culinary program at the school and started teaching girls, you know, how to, and I wasn't trying to make chefs. I was just trying to teach them that, you know, food, it's not rocket science. You can make food easy. And this is how mm -hmm. we do it. Well, let's just go in the walk in and what do you want to make today? Let's grab some of this, some of this and this and throw it together and teach them how to, how to work with food. And that's been my philosophy with my blog. But I started blogging as a resource for them. None of them wanted to go there. They wanted to come see me all the time. But I started getting some readers and started spreading out. And then I found some organizations and I kind of got spread out more worldwide. And not a large following, but I, I was reaching the whole world. 
you know, I, I think I had, I forget how many countries I was in. It was, I was missing Greenland and a country in Africa. At one point, that was <laughs> it. That was it. I'm going, does anybody know anybody in Greenland? <laughs> <laughs> My blogging started changing direction, and it was like, you know, this is something I can do when I retire. My body finally gave out, and I retired early, and we moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. And I had all this extra time, so then I really started working harder at it and doing more and stayed up on everything. Um, Google Hangouts was a big thing back then, and Google was a love-hate relationship. Either yeah. you loved it or you hated it. I loved it. I drank the Kool-Aid early on. <laughs> and that was something that, uh, again, got me up into view because... I was using the Hangouts the way they wanted to. We actually had phone conversations every other week with Google. It was like, this is crazy. Uh, and they rewarded me by putting me on the follow list with Martha Stewart, mm-hmm. Rachel Ray, Emerald Lagasse, Anthony Bourdain, and here's Chef Dennis. I'm like, I don't know how the hell this happened. So that got me. I had over a million followers on Google. At wow. The time they closed it. But that taught me a lot about the business made me comfortable talking to you know i started doing conferences speaking at conferences and just kept working my end game and i was doing very good very happy with business and then the pandemic hit and things went crazy people were all cooking at home mm-hmm. i would say the pandemic was very very good to me you know i didn't yeah. get covid and I, my business like tripled so yeah uh, it, it was a really good thing i just love what i do I wake up in the morning and try and figure out what how I'm going to make more money today or how, how I'm going to share recipes and how I'm going to teach people, you know, that they can cook at home. You really mm-hmm. can. It's not that difficult. So Yeah. Well, so, like, starting from basically back when you started cooking, did you go to college or did you just decide to go straight into restaurants or what brought you at, like, how old were you when you started that first job as a prep cook? I was, I was going to say I was in my late 20s. Hmm. I had bounced around. I went to college right out of high school, which was not the right thing for me. I was yeah. not ready. I was studying business. So that did give me some insight to the business world. Then I just I dropped out. I just It wasn't for me. I was a musician. I was writing jingles for a while. I was playing in bands. Then I went and became a carpenter. My father-in-law was a master carpenter, and he was trying to teach me the trade. And he was a good guy. Worked worked with him, built houses, did all kinds of things, and just was never you know, really happy. Happy, you know. I was mm-hmm. I was okay at what I did, but it wasn't anything I excelled at. I and then I was I was actually flipping. I, I started my life in the kitchen at twelve in a hamburger joint, and I became the manager at age 13 because I was an overachiever at that point, which was crazy. You know, So I went to work for a company called Geno's. The guy that I'd worked at this hamburger place was there and he got me a job there. So I was a manager there and I was the golden child for a while. And then I always had like a four-year shelf life. After mm-hmm. four years, people weren't as thrilled with me anymore because <laughs> I get rather obnoxious. You know, so I was still really good at what I did. But I was more too obnoxious for, yeah. for them to have around. Um, so I left there, and my mom had been a charge nurse at a nursing home, and they needed a food service director. I went there and, and revolutionized the kitchen there. I had a really incredible person I was working with as the head dietitian. She had been everywhere and taught me a lot. She she really taught, and that's when I went back to school. And I got my degree in, in food service, food science hmm. uh, associates. 
And so when I went to the restaurant, I, I mean, I had that behind me. I had some knowledge how to run the business end of it to a degree, but the kitchen, how to run a kitchen. The nursing home kitchen, yeah, but not a professional restaurant kitchen. Right. So that's when I began what I, you know, I refer to as my apprenticeship with them. It wasn't official, but, you know, they, they abused me for a few years. I worked for them. I, I learned a lot. I went and opened a new restaurant with them. And I was part-time. I only worked 35 hours a week. That's what they used to say. <laughs> that was part-time. But I'd cook every night on the line and just really started appreciating the whole routine. And then that kind of got me ready to go out on my own. And I opened a restaurant with some other people. And then just moved around the industry. But I, I would always come back to them for every now and then and then go back out and come back. But they had no real form training other than mm. I read everything I could get a hold of uh, yeah one restaurant I opened the guy said he wanted it to be real Italian so I mean I had the county library system ordering every book they could find and when I got ready to open it it was too Italian <laughs> he didn't know what half the stuff was because <clears throat> he was a he was an American Italian yeah you know not an Italian Italian and I'm cooking this regional stuff he didn't know how to pronounce it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we scaled that back a little bit, but that taught me a lot, too. So I carried a lot of that through, and, and I would kind of Americanize regional dishes to make them more palatable. Because honestly, Americans, if you go to Italy, it's not going to be what you expect. Mm -mm. You know, you're in London, so you understand yeah. that. Because London has more real Italian food. Yeah, yeah. But over here, it's Italian-American. It's all been adapted. You know, yeah. uh, they, they've come up with some wonderful dishes, but not necessarily something you'll get in Italy. No, that's true. So, yeah, it sounds like you just kind of knew early on, too, just about adapting things to make them more palatable, but also, like, easier for people to comprehend in a way as a dish, right? So, which yeah. probably is translated to what you're doing now with the with the videos, like with your YouTube channel and stuff like that. Looking at that, though, it sounds like you started out in a pretty creative career with music, of course, and then even with the carpentry, I mean, there's still, it's an art, in my opinion, like building things well. So do you feel like the food is just an extension of you being creative, too? Yeah, I, I do, I do, and it's the one thing that I'm actually, I feel that I have, I, not that I've reached the pinnacle, but... I feel that I, I'm, it's my best creative outlet. I had an early teacher early on before I really got into the kitchen that showed me how to make some things. And she had told me, she, she said, call me Sonny Boy. She said, Sonny Boy, you have to learn to listen to the food. And I looked at her like, you know, what have you been smoking? And, and it was like, no, it's just if you listen, if you look, if you let all your senses open up while you're creating something, It'll speak to you in a way, and it'll tell you what it needs or what it wants to make this dish really good, what it's missing. And that's kind of something that I don't know if it was intuitive that, that I had, that she knew I had and brought it out. But I, I love to mix things together. And, you know, in the restaurant, especially like on the Jersey Shore, we're selling a lot of seafood, but seafood's expensive. So people coming in for dinner are, are they're they're trusting you with their money. They're giving you their hard-earned money to, to feed them and make them happy. So I, I would use chicken and different aspects like lobster or shrimp. So I would make the dish less expensive but still give them that taste mm -hmm. of the seafood 
the mix with it. And I, I would just find other ingredients and I just love combining, you know, I, I was using sun-dried tomatoes before they were really popular and I would use sausage in dishes, pepperoni in dishes, and, and it would just really add some flavor, add some spice. And I was make, making these beautiful seafood combinations, serving them over pasta. And I, I, I always said, you know, you never want someone to leave your restaurant hungry. Yeah. If they leave and they're so hungry, you did something wrong. You know, and yeah. I go to so many restaurants and they give you this tiny little portion of pasta. Well, that's the cheapest thing on the plate. Mm-hmm. You know, give me a good size and let me go away going, oh, my God, that was great. I'm full. Yeah. So, you know, I always gave a real healthy serving a portion and made sure people were unbuckling their belts after they got done eating. You know, I'd go out in the dining room. If it was quiet, I, I would have done my job. You know, if they were yeah. so busy eating that they didn't want to talk, that's when I knew I was successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good measure for sure. I like that. And so then working in the school, I mean, one thing it is interesting because it's almost like there's this general knowledge that school food isn't good. And it's almost as though that's acceptable to give kids or young people food that isn't great. Which is weird because you would think we're taking... I mean, I don't have kids, but I very much like them and think that they shouldn't eat food that's not good. So, yeah, Yeah. why should they? I mean, and I think about what we had in school, and we had... I know there was this, like, big cookie, and I thought, how unhealthy was it that you were every day (laughs) serving some kid this giant cookie? You know, like, what is wrong with you? So, what was the process for you of changing things over there, and and how did that go overall? I mean, because introducing change is difficult, you know? It, it was, and it, it didn't happen overnight. And the biggest, the most acceptance that I got were from the seniors that year because they had already spent three years eating crap. So any kind of small change that they saw, they, they were very appreciative. Now, it did take a while. I mean, when I first got there, we were in a Catholic school, so it didn't matter what I fed them. Mm-hmm. So, like, I remember going to him when I first tried, and I says, all right, so were we getting rid of the soda machine? She says, you will not get rid of the soda machine. They love their soda, you know? What about fried food? She says, you feed them whatever they want. You keep them happy, and everything is good. So there was no restrictions on what I couldn't give them. So the, at the time, the company that I had joined was very big on health and healthy mm-hmm. foods. Okay. Uh, and I learned a lot about like whole grains. I had to serve aramanth, spelt, quinoa. I didn't know how to say quinoa back then. <laughs> I go, I'm in a Whole Foods and I'm looking around. I pick up a box. Says, how do you say this? Because yeah. I was going quinoa. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I heard people talking about quinoa and I kept looking for it. I couldn't find it. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I learned to work with whole grains. I had always being in food service, in dining service, I had understood about grilled vegetables and healthy salads and different things. So first thing I did was redid the salad bar and then the person working it was very receptive because she loved the fact that I was giving her all these great options to put on and giving her a lot of creativity to do things. So the salad bar transformed and they were loving that. And then I would slowly try and get them away from the fried chicken fingers, which, you know, fried chicken fingers are pretty good. Yeah. But not every day. (laughs) Not all the time. Yeah. So I started making a couple of pastas every day. I started them making about eight different sandwiches every day. We had two soups every day. Yeah. And and just started getting them away from the chicken fingers. And then I would make chicken marsala. We had yeah. sushi. We had, you know, stuff that you wouldn't find in a school. 
and I even had fried calamari on, you know, a, f- a few times. And they were just, there were kids that just loved it and they were so appreciative. And they saw that we still had the big cookies too, but, mm. but we had everything else in between. Oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> yeah, breakfast, you know, I was making all kinds of muffins and, and serving different things. I, I brought coffee in. I brought a organic, fair trade coffee in that my company had access to. Uh, teas, the Republic of Teas. I had all these teas. And the kids were like, wow. You know, I was treating them like adults because I yeah. honestly didn't know what to feed kids. So yeah. I treated them like adults. And, and it worked really, really well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, I mean, kids, they're... I don't know. Some adults are actually like children. You know what I mean? Oh, but kids, yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah. kids, I don't know, it's, if you kind of treat them like people and with respect, and maybe it's just because I don't have them, I, I think I just treat them differently anyway. You know what I mean? Because I don't have to parent them, so I can just <laughs> be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, what do you want yeah. to eat? You want real food? No, that's really great. And so then looking at basically all the stuff you're producing now, so you do your blog, you do videos on YouTube and you also do stuff about travel. So how's all that like evolved now? As you said, from when the kids, it was more to teach people like yeah. you knew now it's to teach anyone. So how's that evolved and what's your kind of who should go visit your site and in your blog and everything now? Well, I, I try, I've used all my experience in the restaurant. I'm, I've been in cooking and restaurants or dining services for, Oh geez, for longer than I care to remember at this point. But you know, all the, dishes I created, all the dishes I cooked. I, I watch people constantly. I read constantly. I, I learn. Um, so I have adapted these recipes and they're all tested. They all work. A lot of them are ones that I have made thousands of times, you know, that I know work. They're easy. My recipes are, I, I always call them restaurant style because it's stuff that you can make in a restaurant. Well, we have 10, 20 minutes tops to make you dinner. You know, and, and I can't sp- even spend that much time on each individual dinner because I've got all these dinners coming in. So there's stuff that isn't isn't hard to make, number one, and doesn't take a lot of time. So this is what I pass on to people with my recipes. So if you want to kick your, your cooking at home up a bit, you know, my recipes will definitely do that. What I also teach people is that recipes weren't written in stone. You can change them. Just because I say there should be mushrooms in the dish, if you don't like mushrooms, leave them out. It's okay. You know, it's it, it might change a little bit of the flavor, but if you don't like mushrooms, to you, not at all. It's yeah. going to actually be better. <clears throat> and I think the problem with a lot of people cooking is they trust these recipes or these chefs that tell them this is how it should be made. So they figure, well, I have to make it that way because they're knowledgeable. They really know what they're talking about. Well, yeah, but you're the one eating the dinner. You know, and I'll say, should it have this? Well, yeah, it should, but it's your dinner. You know, if you don't like it, leave it out. And part of the problem is people will go into the kitchen and they'll take these recipes. They're all proud. They're excited. They've got a recipe printed out. They've got the ingredients and they make it, but it's got something in it they don't like. Mm -hmm. It's got a flavor they don't like. So at the end of the process, when they sit down to eat, they go, well, it's good, but I don't like this. So they suck some of the joy out of them then. So the next time they don't really want to, they don't have as much enthusiasm when they go in the kitchen. I don't like nutmeg. I don't put nutmeg in anything baked, but if you do, put it in. You know, yeah. it's cool. It's, you know, it's no harm, no foul. So 
you know, make it so you like it. Because then when you sit down to eat that meal that you've worked hard to make, you're going to go, wow, this is good. I yeah. And your family's going, I didn't know you knew how to cook. You know, this is great. So you're all excited to get back in the kitchen now. Yeah. So this is what I try to teach people. And this is what I try to give people with my recipes is this philosophy of cooking with foods you like to eat and, and knowing you can make substitutions. So yeah. anybody that really, you know, even if you're you're good, at, you've been cooking for a long time and you love it, I have some really great recipes. Yeah. Well, and it's funny with the, the heat, like adding spice or whatever, because I definitely like hot sauce and I'm a big fan. Oh, yeah. But I did start trying the food before I put the hot sauce on because I used to just grab it and be like, well, Cholula is going on this. And I'd have no yeah. idea what it even tastes like without. And so it's been... It's been interesting, but it is true, too, when you're making your own food. I mean, I'm, I live alone, so a lot of times if I make something, I'm going to eat it for two more meals. It has to be something I like, because when I make something I don't like it, I still have to eat it for the next two meals, you I, know? Then it gets really tedious. Yeah. Are you familiar with Michael Pollan? Yeah. So he did, he had a thing, I think it was actually on an Oprah show or something, but where he talked about being really mindful and, like, cooking is a place where he's mindful and... It reminded me of what you were saying about that person saying, like, to listen to the food. It was a very similar idea, I think, of just, like, being mindful and present while you're cooking and kind of enjoying that process, and it almost makes eating better, too. And I kind of tried that, or I have tried that for the past couple of years, just to, like, enjoy cooking versus hating it. And do you ever talk to people who say, well, I hate to cook, and... Have you ever delved into that with them and kind of? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, sometimes it's it's just something that they're you, not everybody is going to enjoy it. My mother did not like to cook, which is one of the reasons I cooked. Now, in, late in life, when she was living alone, she enjoyed the process. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my god, she goes, yeah, I'm having a good time. But when she was so busy working, all she was a nurse, she worked all the time. She didn't like to cook, and my father was kind of a bland he was english my mom's mm. mexican my father's english was kind of a bland eater so i mean that was one of the reasons another reason i wanted to cook because i said this food is horrible i actually <laughs> sent her to the school to learn how to make spaghetti sauce because <laughs> she was using this thing called spatini which was a packet of seasonings and oh, tomato God. paste to make i know it was horrible even at a, as little i knew it was horrible but yeah you know that's the problem you don't you don't like to cook because you've not had good experiences. Yeah. Okay, right away you tried it, you know, and either you just threw stuff in a pan without really knowing what you were doing or you followed a recipe verbatim that had ingredients you didn't like. So I always tell people, let's start simple. Let's start when, you know, when you're just trying to make something. You know, like my, my chicken marsala is really easy to make. I start with something that only has, you know, five to ten ingredients in it, something easy that you can make that you know you like. What do you like to eat? Do you like chicken parm? Let's make chicken parm. Everybody loves chicken parm. Yeah. But you get sucky ones when you go into restaurants. Yeah. So you know, let's make something easy that you're gonna you're gonna sit down and you're gonna go, Wow, I yeah. was good. So yeah, it, you know, people will tell me I, I just don't like to cook. And I'm gonna go, why don't you like to cook? Oh, because I it never comes out right. You know, it's too hard. Well, you're using the wrong recipes. It takes too long. It shouldn't take more than 20 minutes. Mm-mm. You know, a lot of my recipes, you know, you can cook the pot. By the time you cook the pasta, if you're making pasta or rice or potatoes, the, the entree takes less time. Yeah. 
I agree. Now, if you want to make something a little more intricate, you know, it'll take, you know, an hour or sometimes I slow cook things or braise them. That's going to take three hours, but you don't have to stand there and watch it. You, know, you put it in the oven, you set the timer, you come back, you pull it out. So, you know, it's nothing that requires a lot of work, but you can start to have fun with it and you can yeah. start to bring people in the kitchen with you and you can have them cutting vegetables with you. You can talk. It's like you said, it should be a happy time and making the time in the kitchen happy is the whole difference in making you happy when you eat food and letting you enjoy the experience. Like you said, you know, be in the moment, enjoy mm-hmm. the experience, have a glass of wine or have sparkling cider, you know, have something, get, you know, get your family involved and, and talk and bond because we bond over food. Mm-hmm. We can sit down. My, my wife's a prime example. We're in Germany and, I'm taking pictures and I turn around and can't find her. Well, she's sitting at a table with a bunch of Germans having a good time. I'm like, you don't speak German. You know, how the hell is this happening? But she's very gregarious and outgoing yeah, and yeah. she'll wave and they'll wave her over and, you know, they're trying to communicate. And But food does that. Food yeah. does that. Food and, and, you know, drinking does that, you know, brings you together. We're laughing and having a good time. Yeah. Not knowing each other's language that well. So, you know, you can do that even more at home. Oh, for sure. I find like a lot of times you end up in the kitchen at a party or whatever. You just oh, end yeah. up in the kitchen anyway. So people worry about what to do with other rooms. Like don't do anything. Just have the kitchen ready for everyone to stand around, you know. <laughs> people gravitate to the kitchen. That's why I like the place we got now. Kitchen's small, but mm-hmm. I have this huge island that yeah. opens the living room. You know, it's it's a, a condo. So it's set up a little different. So, you know, this is that's to me, it's important. All right, I have a gathering place right here and I can feed people. Yep. And Mario Balto used to have a show on and I, I always wanted to do a show like that where he would invite people in and he'd make it. And they were sitting on the other side of the island talking to him while he cooked and he would serve them. You know, for me, that would be like the epitome of, of just having a good time, fun. You know, talking to people while I'm making stuff and, and showing them and teaching them. I think that's why I enjoyed the teaching aspect of it was because I got to share the enthusiasm with people. And that's what I try to do again with my recipe, share some of the enthusiasm. Yeah, that's awesome. So what else, what do you do besides cooking that kind of brings you joy or that gives you balance? Because sometimes I'm sure it is work. I mean, even if you're oh, having yeah. fun doing it, it's still work. Yeah, it is. I, you know, and I spend a lot of time on social media and I need a break from that. So mm-hmm. I read a lot. I always enjoyed reading but it got to the point was I had so many paperback books in the house. I almost stopped reading because I was just accumulating <laughs> too many books. And I had slowed up. And my wife bought me a Kindle oh, years ago. And all of a sudden, I became voracious again. I was reading constantly. And, and I still do that now. You know, I'll, I, I, I have Kindle Unlimited. So I, I get all these books for free. And I read books that probably I normally wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. I listen to music. I listen to music all the time while I'm working, unless I'm writing, and then I have to have quiet while I'm writing. But that, and, and I love to travel. I, I became the accidental travel blogger. Yeah. Someone, a friend sent me to this travel opportunity, and I said, I'm not a travel blogger. She goes, oh, I just apply, apply. So I did, and I got the, the not a great room because I was the last one they accepted, but they had put in these nine-foot sliding glass doors that opened to the Atlantic Ocean. We were on the beach, so... I'm up there in this kind of crappy room, but, you know, they hadn't got to that floor yet. I'm looking out the, at the ocean and going, I can do this. I get this. If I write about it, people are going to send me places. Yeah. So 
you know, and that worked out. And I was getting sent all over Europe, traveling and writing about it because I had such a large following on my food side of the business. Right. You know, and then I became a culinary f- travel blogger. So yeah. I would write, you know, I had someone call me out one time. He goes, he visited six UNESCO sites and didn't talk about them. He talked about the food. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I'm doing. UNESCO <laughs> sites. What was there? So yeah. they want to know what they're going to eat and where they can drink. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's a, thank you for the complaint. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> we finish it with, yeah, this stuff does make me hungry though. <laughs> so yeah. It's like, like okay, job done. <laughs> okay. You weren't going to eat granite or whatever. You know, (laughs) (laughs) oh, that's great. That's great. So one thing I like to ask everybody is, do you have any like advice or mantra that you just want to share with people? Well, yeah, just just to remember that you learn from failure. You know, Mm -hmm. not everything I did was successful and not everything I did the first time worked. You know, so you, you never see success unless you fail first in any kind of business but you know if you wanted to be a blogger or a chef or you know you have to be able to work through the failures it's you know the strength it's not you're not strong because you never fail you're strong because you fail and you try again mm. so yeah. you know that that's the whole thing you know when i was in high school there was a poem and my, my wrestling coach would give me and goes you know if you think you're beaten you are if you think you dare not you don't you know, and that's the mm-hmm. truth. You know, you, you just have to try and try it and try it until you get it right and just keep working at it and try to be happy at what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's and that's cool. Like my nephew plays sports. He's really a good baseball player. But I think I see how important the coaches are. So it's good that that resonated with you for this long. So next we have a set of questions called the fun five. First one, what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? You know, I I have gotten out of that habit. I think my <laughs> oldest t-shirt is maybe three years old. It's it's I, I used to keep them, and they were pretty much just to look at. I, I'm a messy eater. Mm. I know that might be hard to believe, but I'm a messy <laughs> eater, so I stain my shirts so they get recycled. If I can't keep the spots off of them, they go away, and I just yeah. buy new t-shirts. Fair. Well, yeah, and especially if you're, before when you were using all the butter. That would create yeah. really difficult. Oh, yeah, I... My wife gets everything on the floor or on the table, and I get everything on me. <laughs> nice. So you really wear like bibs, basically. I, you know, I keep thinking about ordering bibs. I really do <laughs> because I'm tired of replacing T-shirts sometimes. <laughs> nice. All right. So it felt like, and you mentioned the pandemic affected your business in a different way. And same for me. I mean, I was actually really busy, but it did seem like it was Groundhog's Day for a while because we were kind of doing the same thing all the time. So. What song would you have your alarm clock to play every morning if it was Groundhog's Day, like the movie? Like the movie? That Thing You Do by The Wonders. Oh, nice. I love that song. You know, if we were going old school, I might say Happy Together by The Turtles, but that's going way, way, way back. But I was trying to think of that, and and I thought, you know, I love that song. It's so upbeat. Mm -hmm. And that would be a good Groundhog Day song to start the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. All right. And coffee or tea or neither? Oh, coffee. Coffee black coffee lots of it don't don't (laughs) dilute it and give it to me one of the problems i had with coffee was all my life being in food service coffee's hot Mm. coffee is hot and i would buy these coffee makers and the coffee's like 185 degrees he goes well it's lukewarm you know i want 205 degree coffee or you know so uh, definitely black and i have gone off of all caffeine to half calf okay so 
you know, just because I, I like, to me, drinking coffee is uh, not a social event, if, even if I'm by myself, but for me, it's social. I enjoy it. I like, mm-hmm. I want a big cup. I want, you know, 16 ounce mug of coffee. Yeah. I'm an American. I like a lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> One of my problems with traveling with Europe was I, I like espresso. But yeah. these little bitty cups, and you know, you drink it, and you're done. I'm like, well, oh, that didn't take any time. Yeah, and if you drink more than one of those, I mean, I oh, yeah. definitely, I definitely sometimes do feel the coffee. You know, oh, where yeah. I go, okay, yeah, I had a little bit too much, and and yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's like you know, there was a movie with Jim Carrey that he had a Red Bull, and he goes, "I had a Red Bull. Did you have a Red Bull? I had yeah. a Red Bull. Red Bull was good. I didn't enjoy." Well, that's <laughs> even <you>. with. <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. That's even with beer, like so. I see these beers that are 10% or something, and I'm like, that's not, I mean, at some point, that's not sustainable. So I like a 4.5% that I can enjoy for a while, because once I get over five, it just starts to get, like, to be an antisocial beer, where it's like. (laughs) Oh, some of them are so good, but yeah, that's like, I can't drink like that all the time. (laughs) No. No, it's not sustainable. (laughs) I have one beer, and I'm going home. See you guys. Yeah, different conversation, basically. Yeah. All right, so can you think of a something that just makes you crack up or like a time you laughed so hard you cried or something like that? Oh, there's a comedian. He he did pass away. His name was John Pignette. Okay. And he used to do these routines. He was a large man, and he was so funny, but he would talk about going to McDonald's. And he goes, you stand behind people, and they get up to the front of the line. I go, let's see. What will I have? He goes, they haven't changed our menu in 30 years. Yeah. I can read it to you back to front, front to back. <laughs> he goes, get out of line. Every time he would say, get out of line. <laughs> oh, I would just howl. Because yeah. I, I lived that. You know, you get you see people and he goes, really? You waited till now? But yeah, he was he was just, I, I love all comedy. I mean, again, it's it's a release. But there's mm-hmm. certain comedians that just make me howl. And, and I think the movie that does it the most or did it the most was called Weekend at Bernie's. It's yeah. Old, oh, <laughs> yeah. I almost peed myself in the movie theater laughing so hard. It was just so funny. Yeah, that one's a wild one. Well, like, Louis, you know Louis Anderson, too? I mean, oh, he, yeah. He, which I don't know. I'm, I'm a comic on the side. So I just, I watched some of the, the latest stuff he had done, and it was so brilliant. But he had that kind of delivery, too. That was really great. And, and he would talk about his weight and stuff, which was... Oh. Yeah, he's beautifully done. I, I miss oh, yeah. miss him for sure. Yeah, John Pignette, we used to talk about his friends thinking it was a good idea to take him skiing. <laughs> and he talks through the hose. It's just hysterical. It's yeah. just, and then again, you know, the, the death march through Disney, you know, there's the different things that are just so relatable. But yeah. yeah, and I think that's what it is. It's relatable humor as well, because we, we're almost laughing at ourselves mm. when we're laughing with them. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so. The last of the fun five, who inspires you right now? You know, I, I gather inspiration from so many different places. I would not say there's any one person that I have ever locked on to as I wish I could be like them. As more or less, I, I, I try to gather inspiration from what I eat at restaurants, from what I read about. I would say my, my greatest source of inspiration is are food magazines. Mm. I actually have, I got a subscription. I got, again, I got tired of buying them and having stacks of these beautiful magazines that are just getting wasted. I love <clears throat> Australian food magazines huh. and, and British ones too. 
ones in the states a lot of them suck you know all these <laughs> old bon appetit gourmet you know i went delicious good food you know all these different uh, different magazines so but i i have a subscription with a online service and i just i just look at the pictures pretty much yeah yeah and if i see something that i like i copy i i do a screenshot of the picture and then i'll go back later and try and figure out how to make it oh that's cool like reverse engineer it kind of yeah, yeah, that's that's it. You know, and that's my thing with going out to eat. Like I'll I'll see something on the menu so wow, this sounds really good and it'll come out and I'll go, Well, that's not what I expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then I'll again you know, make it the way I thought it should be. So that's kinda where I gather inspiration from from meals that I eat out and then again just I, I like you know, very visual. Yeah. Very visual. And I, I try to do that with my blog, too, because I, I know if I'm visual, people all the time go, oh, pretty picture. pretty That looks nice, you know, kind of yeah. a thing. Nice. Cool. Well, how do you want people to find you or where should they go to find you? <clears throat> it's really easy. I am AskChefDennis.com and across social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, YouTube, I'm Ask Chef Dennis. So it's really easy. If you Google Ask Chef Dennis, I'll fill fill quite a few pages. Nice. That's good. That's some good SEO. All right. Well, Chef Dennis, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you. Oh, it was great to be on your show. I I enjoyed our talk. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at, at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok. And the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.